0: Maybe I'm not so terrible.
1: No, you're fucking not at all. I mean, personality-wise, yes, but guitar playing really good.
0: <laughs> oh my god. I'm glad I'm that's running. I'm keeping that at the beginning of this episode. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. So uh, good. You
1: just left yourself wide open. I mean, you're going to give me a softball. I'm going to knock that sucker out of park. <laughs>
0: Hey everybody, and welcome back to Don't Quit Your Day Job. My name is Paul. I am your host. And finally, finally, back from his, what is it, 30 days, 60 days in the desert? I don't know. I'm trying to make a religious reference there for from our Catholic <laughs> school background. I have Marky T, Mark Tremelia. Hey, buddy.
1: <laughs> hey, Paul. God bless you, my son. <laughs> doing good. How are you
0: doing? <laughs> I'm good. Always, always good to see you, even though you did just insult me at the very beginning of this episode. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Only because you served it up for me. <laughs>
0: um, so it's it's been a minute. So let's start with the Golden Globes. Um, you wore a tuxedo, but still sporting your Chuck Taylors, the the Mark Tremalia yeah. trademark. So <laughs> so explain the reason why a guy holding lights needs to wear a tuxedo.
1: Because everybody on the uh, everybody on the red carpet or gray carpet in in the rainy day um, has to wear a tux. So, you know, I worked for Entertainment Tonight, and uh, they rented us all tux. And the funny thing is, in the past, they usually rent shoes. They were all shocked that they didn't rent shoes for us. And the guys said, wear whatever you want. And I, I asked my boss, I said, can I wear my chucks? And he said, are they black? I said, they are. And he goes, wear them.
0: <laughs> and did anyone comment, did any big star comment on your Chuck Taylors?
1: No, uh, no, nope. None of them did. <laughs> so, I did get a lot. Of, I did get a lot of looks though. It was kind of funny. I was telling my wife like Eddie Murphy stared me down and Austin Butler like he the whole interview he kept looking at me. So it was kind of funny. For for
0: what reason? Why was why do you do you know why?
1: Uh, maybe I distracted him with you know he was like what is that? <laughs> what am I looking at over here? <laughs> Blind me more with that light, sir.
0: <laughs> yeah. So let's start there. What is uh, what is the job when you're when you're on the red carpet? What are you doing when you're actually holding the light?
1: Oh well, what we did was uh, Entertainment Tonight had a little booth that they had set up, like you know, like E Entertainment. And all of them had these little booths, so when they're walking the red carpet, their publicists have interviews pre-set up, or they just try to flag down people that mm-hmm. they. have interviewed in the past and try to get them to come over and basically we have a bunch of lights up in there but they really need a direct light on the people that are being interviewed so usually I was right next to the camera and I just had a light right there and I noticed you know Henry Winkler I think was one of the first ones to come up and I was like wow the fans!" and the camera guy goes it's a media event take pictures and I was like really so I took pictures of everybody you know I mean it was pretty neat getting to see everybody getting to see all that glamour up close and everything and um, yeah, it was fun. Is, every, the-
0: is everybody short is my first question. Are are stars uh, short? Because that's like the sort of theory that stars are much shorter than you think they are.
1: I would say not in my experience. I mean, even Margot Robbie was, I mean, I'm 5'8". She was probably 5'9", 5'10". Okay. So, yeah, no, I, <laughs> I mean, Henry Winkler is probably a little shorter than me. But everybody else, Adam Scott, he's probably like five ten. Austin Butler's definitely over six feet. And uh, Spielberg was short. <laughs> James Cameron's tall though. He's definitely over six foot. Eddie and Murphy's the, over six feet.
0: Are you a freelance light guy? Or do you are you working with a reporter and a camera guy all the time and
1: um I'm not sure of the question only because our business is very much a freelance industry other than if you get in with a crew. So like the, for this, the, for six, this
0: uh, event is what I mean. Like, were you with the same people all the time or were you just wandering yeah. around with a light?
1: There was only one camera guy oh, for okay. entertainment tonight. So okay. we did the outside interviews first on the red carpet and then we did the post award interviews after. And we had like a little uh, room, and it was Inside Edition and Us and Access Hollywood and E Entertainment. There was four little booths set up, and basically the winners would come in. So I watched Steven Spielberg and Seth Rogen and all them for like a half hour. Judd Hirsch, I was like, wow, taxi. Um, you know, <laughs> so they'd come in and they go to E first, then they go to Access Hollywood, then they come to us, and then they'd go over to the last one, and then they leave. And that's how they all, all the award winners did it from Colin Farrell to Eddie Murphy feed. What's Jennifer Coolidge? She was hysterical, by the way. Oh my God. When she came, the guy who gave her the shot on White Lotus that she said all the glowing stuff about when she was back doing our interviews, he won. So she stopped everything to watch that. And I took pictures of her watching him and she was so excited. And it was, it was pretty cool. Like everybody was, everybody was nice. Like I didn't, didn't sense any snobbery other than the show itself is amazing because it, it is Everything is Hollywood about it. Like the firemen that come in all look like they were central casting. Like it like they're all 6'2" <laughs> and ripped and like with all their fire gear on and then a SWAT team comes in. There's like 10 members of the SWAT team and they're full tactical gear and you know AR15s and and head you know, it was crazy. And, you know, and, and my, my boss, the gaffer, he was like, he goes, this is what it's like. He goes, Hollywood, they bring out the top of everything and they need the protection. They want to have safety. They, you know, everything's got to be a certain way. You know, I mean, the fire marshal walks up and down the red carpet while it's going on. Cause there's so many people, so many lights, so many cameras that he's got to make sure everything's safe. But it, again, you know, he's like a supermodel, like fireman, and like ripped and walk Hello people, you know, it's just like, and it's just so like like almost what you'd expect if somebody was making a movie of the Golden Globes right. like these are all the people they cast in it. Right. But it was real life. <laughs> where where
0: was it? Where did you film all of that stuff? At the Beverly Hilton.
1: It's it's at the Beverly Hilton Hotel every year. Okay. It's where they o- always have it.
0: And and that's a fancy place, I presume?
1: Yeah, very fancy. Yeah. You know. Okay.
0: All right. So you haven't stayed there with one of your various bands? Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's the first time I've ever been there. Although Kelly, she's been there for uh, work events, uh, radio work events. Okay. They they do awards awards there, and she's gone for you know, drinks and dinner, corporate stuff.
0: Right. Okay. So moving on from your day job, is. Actually, one more question about that is, is it more fun to do things like that where you're meeting different celebrities and sort of hanging out? Or is it more fun to do a show, George Lopez or whatever you've been working on?
1: I'd I'd way much rather be doing George Lopez. Uh, I I like working with the same crew. We know what we got going on. I mean, the Golden Globes thing was definitely neat. And and actually, oddly enough, they called me to work uh, gaffing. Uh, they wanted me to go out because the camera guy liked me so much. He wanted to take me out on some interviews that they're doing yesterday, and I had to turn it down because I've I've got the Lopez thing, and and you know, yeah, I'd much rather work with my crew and work on a sitcom where I know what the hours are going to be like, right. what the shooting's going to be like. I mean, I, the Golden Globe thing, I rigged in the rain the first day for sixteen hours. I I had never been so wet in my entire life. Like, <laughs> had to, and the funny thing was they predicted rain and then as i was driving in they called it off so i left all my rain gear in the car and of course because it's like a you know fancy event we have to park 10 miles away and then they bus us in so i couldn't get back to my car to get the rain right. gear and you know I, I was more prepared on the day of the show i brought backups everything and rain gear but yeah i it was a miserable day
0: w- wasn't it miserable for everybody in la since it rains like twice a year there
1: yeah yeah it was yeah uh, it's been raining a lot lately. Yeah. Lots of leaks, lots of holes, lots of fences getting knocked down. I mean, it's it's been pretty crazy all the rain and out in Joshua Tree, which I went out to this morning, we had snow. So it uh, wow. our yard was covered in snow and all the mountaintops around us were covered in snow and uh, it all melted by the afternoon and then yesterday Kelly sent me a video of the snow coming down again out there. So it's it's uh it's not stopping.
0: Wow. <laughs> Okay, then moving on from your day job back to your, I guess, your other day job? Your second yeah. your second day job? Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you got Crusado stuff coming up, and you've been recording. So yeah. you're recording for Crusados, is that right?
1: Yeah, we just did a six-song EP. We were going to do a five-song EP, and we wrote six songs for it. And they all came out so good that we said, eh, I guess we're just going to do a six-song EP. Um, we actually recorded it in three days, everything. Um, and then uh, he went in and mixed it, and it's done. It basically only took us like a week, and so now we're just getting the artwork together, and we're going to do a video for it, and uh, we're getting everything together for the tour. We just got our writer all together so we can uh, get all our goodies, and uh, we got a couple dates we got to fill in, but we got a couple big shows in there, and it's going to be a long one, unfortunate.
0: (laughs) For for (laughs) a band that famously doesn't drink very much, Um, what's the point of a rider if you don't have 10 bottles of Jack on it?
1: Because uh, we all like food and we all like water. And, you know, Fanta soda is amazing in Europe. I, I I don't drink soda when I'm in the States, but when I go over there, I drink Fanta like every day because it's so good, the orange Fanta. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, nobody drinks. So we just have bottled water and sparkling water and cold cuts and bread and condiments. And we, we have to have chocolate backstage. That's when we smash everything backstage if there's no chocolate. If there's
0: no chocolate, is there a special brand of chocolate uh, the band prefers?
1: As long as it's chocolate, that's all we care about.
0: (laughs) Uh, Going back to the recording, uh, were there any moments where you're like, "I'm not sure what to play," or are you such a seasoned professional now? You're just like, "Yeah, I can play whatever you want me to play."
1: Um, I, I can. Okay. I'm not a seasoned professional, but I can play whatever they want me to play. So there was moments where like I was doing a solo and Tony goes, can you play a lick kind of like Billy Gibbons would do right there? And I was like, yeah, I know what you mean. And yeah. And I did did that. So, I mean, I, we got one like Chuck Berry kind of song, and uh, the solo itself I think I did three takes of, but the end solo I thought was going to take me forever because it's a weird little rhythm thing, and I got it first take. It was like, hey, you're done. Don't try it again. I was like, wow, I hit it, huh? <laughs> I got lucky.
0: And just, again, thinking about about late 80s, early 90s, your first experiences with recording, would you... Have tried it again, or would you have tried it ten more times, even if someone said, "No, no, this is good enough. We can do it." Or was were the producers or everybody so focused on the the perfection thing back then?
1: Uh, I was pretty insecure back then too. So I, if I hurt, if I did it and played it back and heard a little mistake, even that I know nobody else would hear, yeah. I'd probably say, "Let me do it again. I can do it better. I can do it better." You know, I mean, I definitely had that in my vocabulary, but now I I trust the guys, you know, and I got the finished tracks the other day and I listened to them and I was like, Holy crap, that's actually even better than I thought it was, you know? (laughs) So, I mean, I just, now I learned to trust when people say it's good, even if I'm feeling a little iffy about it If they go, dude, that's, I'm signing off on it. I'll I'll, I'll sign off on stuff now, but I used to not.
0: (laughs) Cool. Then talking about the tour, Steve Vai uh, recently had an interview where he said that, that touring is very difficult, uh, even for, for guys of his stature and that he's lucky to break even often on his tours. Yeah. So do you think that that's, there's some hyperbole there, or do you think that that's really how it is?
1: I think his overhead is a lot more than the Cruzado's overhead. You know, he's got, um, texts, musicians, gear, um, drivers, assistants, like everybody that's got to get paid. You know, for us, there's basically five of us, a guy who drives the van, and if we're lucky, somebody who helps hump gear, you know, so that cuts our cost down right there. And you know, I mean, the gas prices definitely going up cost us a little bit in our pocketbook because, you know, what we do is everything is in a pot and we pay for everything as we go, and then we just divvy it up at the end, you know, and normally. After, with all the merch and all the show stuff, it usually comes out pretty good. But, you know, mm-hmm. what are you going to do? You know, I mean, we, we we actually looked at the numbers and factored in, wow, this 900 mile drive cost us, you know, like $700 just to do that, you know, hotel rooms and right. gas. So it was right. like, that might not have been as worth it as we thought, you know, so little things like that. But yeah, I definitely, a lot of my it it amazes me, honestly, some of the bands that I'm friends with who are able to go out with a full tour bus and a full crew and get hotels every night. It blows my mind. Like, I don't know what they're getting paid or how they're doing it, but they seem successful. It seems like it's working for them. God bless them. I hope they can keep doing it. But it's like, man, the thought of us trying to add more expenses on just, you know, we probably couldn't do what we do.
0: And that's exactly my my thought about this right now. So a guy like Steve Vai, who probably has a big cartage fee because he has gear. He's very particular about his gear. He wants his amps and he wants his effects and all of that, but then don't do a nightliner or don't do a big tour bus or, or any of those other things. Or do you think for, again, all speculation on your stand, but you've been there, you've done these sorts of big tours in the nineties. Is that just part and parcel of what, what it means to go on tour for some people? Well, well,
1: look, he's also playing venues much bigger than what we're right, doing. Right. You know, we're yeah. playing maybe, you know, 250 to tops being a venue wise, like 800 to 1,000 people. He's literally starting at places that are probably 2,500 to 5,000, right. you know, and even bigger from there. So he already has to start out with a production coming in that's going to be big. He needs a sound guy. He needs right. his tech has to go, you know, like everybody like there's just too many things that have to, have to go into a tour like that. And that's why he can't make money at the end of that, because he's paying everybody, but the only way to bring that to an audience is to pay for all that, you know? And it's either gonna come out of the musician's pocket and he's going to suffer financially or the audience is not going to be happy with the product because, yeah, Steve, I could show up with an amp and a guitar and put all that money in his pocket and pay the band a pittance and, hey, you know, hire a guy to drive the van from city to city. And sure, you know, it probably would still be impressive because it's I, you know, right. but – He's not going to skimp. He's not going to do that.
0: That's a good, that's a really good point. I didn't think about like trusses and lights and sound and and monitor mixer and all of that stuff that goes along with it. Cause I'm thinking, here I am thinking, like from my scale, well, then just get a smaller van, right? Because, <laughs> because we don't do anything else. But,
1: <laughs> right, but when you have, you know, 10 people, he's got three band members and himself. So there's four people right there. Right. But then you got a driver, then you got a tour manager. Yeah. You got to like if you're at that level, you've got to have somebody coordinating right. stuff. You know oh. what I mean? You gotta pay for hotel rooms, you gotta pay for gas. He's gonna have a tech, the drummer's definitely gonna have a tech. So that's at least two techs. And they're gonna make at least a two grand a week probably. Right. You know, so you know and, and that's probably not even a lot considering that, you know, techs usually make more than the bands when they're on the road, you know, I mean, not till the end, the band will get a nice chunk at the end. But when you're on the road, like that used to be the joke back in the day was like, can you buy me food? Because you got all the money right now, you get a weekly paycheck, I get a chunk when I get back, I get a daily per diem. So I could buy food, but man, you know, it's tough.
0: So so that makes sense. So and this is why it's so important to have these discussions with With a guy like you who who understands what's happening, because, again, looking at it from my perspective, because I don't understand the scale because I've never done it. Right. So it's easy to forget. Well, just do what I do in my punk rock band and then it'll cost you nothing. Right. But that's that's not what's happening here.
1: Unfortunately, for for his. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that would suffer is the fans, you know, and they would stop coming to a show and so the bottom line is it would it would hurt his pocketbook either way, you know, right. by lack of people coming or by, you know, putting on a subpar show to save money, you know? So I mean, the dude's got class and is a is an amazing musician and he just he won't do that, you know? Like he right. just won't do something that's half assed because he knows people deserve better than that. So he just does it, you know? But I mean, to me, Music is, is such a lost art in a way, you know, like real musicians, because you just how many guys can really make a decent living yeah. doing what they do unless they already have a YouTube following or a Patreon account that's giving them a decent check, you know, and, and, and I thank God there's some guys out there that are able to do it. But for the most part, you know, I mean, it's it's hustling gigs and struggling with right. no you know, right. medical insurance and hoping something big comes along after that and it gets old after a while.
0: How this all shakes out after the pandemic. You know, everybody needed a tour. Everybody wanted to tour right after the pandemic because it was one of the few ways for a musician to make money. And now as we continue to move past that, how this all shakes out and what it means to be famous on the internet, which we talked about a few episodes ago and how that could translate into making money in music will be, will be interesting to see.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's interesting because doing, this is going to be the fourth time I've gone to Europe since COVID. And the first basically time and a half I went, the people were insane. Like they could not wait to break out of their houses. But the last time I was there with little Caesar, we played a lot of the same venues and had sellouts, but I could sense that people were like, I don't know if I want to go out tonight. Right. Eh, I could just watch this on home on YouTube. <laughs> so I I mean literally talking right. to people that would you know would tell me like eh. Yeah, we wanted to come out just to say hi, you know, but it's like I get it. You know, it's like the convenience of staying home and not having to deal with the crowd started to scare us on that last tour because we'd go, man, we had, you know, 300 people the last time. And now we got 150, you know, and you can see the difference in the audience when you're looking out like going, holy crap, how did that just happen? But, you
0: know, let's move on to uh, the next segment. One of my favorite segments with uh, Marky T, and that is Hot Takes. (laughs) I'm going to read you some hot takes, and you're going to tell me uh, whether or not you agree with the current climate in the music industry. I'm in. <clears throat> How about this one for guitar players? If you can't decide between getting a chorus pedal or a flanger pedal, get a phaser. Huh.
1: Um, well, I mean, they're all uh, modulation effects. It's right. all basically a manipulation of the sound. Flanger's a slow, whooshing chorus is sort of a doubler and the phaser is a fast version of the flanger so i mean there's some merit to that because you can control (laughs) the speed of the phaser um but no you need you need you need one of those three
0: (laughs) all right uh here's here's another good one um pedals are the new craft beer everyone is just slapping pretty graphics on essentially the same overall effects
1: I would agree with that. I, I, it's starting to look insane when I get a guitar magazine. I'm like, how many overdrives can you make? You know, like how many times can you manipulate the circuit, the circuitry? Now, saying that, uh, I'm guilty of something because I kept hearing about how great Analog Man was, and yeah. I I wasn't going to pay $800 for a pedal or $400 to wait two years for a pedal that I've heard great things about. But the MXR Duke of Tone, which is the Analog Man's pedal for all MXR right. came out at 149 bucks. I said, what the hell? And I'll admit, it. I pulled all the other overdrives off my pedal board. I was like, man, I, I love the Timmy. I love the Tumnus. I love the Love pedal. And they're all slightly different in character, yeah. their, their voice. But there's a lot more... Um, depth and a lot more, um, I can do really with, the the Tone pedal, you know, it's got a lot more options sound wise. I can go from distortion to a boost to an overdrive, whereas all the other pedals are kind of an overdrive, a clean yeah. boost and show overdrive. So I, I'm, I I'm guilty, but yeah, it is, it is insane. I like, I look at pedal boards sometimes on online, I'm a Reddit nerd and I'll go onto Reddit pedal boards. Yeah. And I think like, Those guys don't tour. They don't get on the road because there is no way you're going to take that monstrosity and all these like square pedals on the road with like, no, like my pedal board is four mini pedals and a tuner. Like it is absurd, but it can fit in my backpack and it can fit in my guitar. If I have a gig bag, I can fit it in my guitar gig bag front pocket. That's how small my pedal board is. And I've got everything on it I need. So I just don't, I don't understand the obsession with it,
0: but it's because you're a good guitar player when you're not such a great guitar player, you use pedals to cover the fact that you're not such a great guitar player.
1: (laughs) I mean, pedals are fun, you know, but it's just like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I I mean, yeah.
0: (laughs) All right. Let's move on to something that you might have an opinion on. People only like Bob Dylan because they're supposed to, he offers nothing musically and lyrically who fucking cares.
1: (laughs) Um, I don't know. I, you know, I went through a phase where I really loved Dylan, where I listened to a lot of it, and I get what the artists get when they listen to him and absorb his thing. I mean, he's got a thing about the rhythm and the patter of his rhyming is is really cool, the way he does it. And I, I mean, I and I totally understand why people hate his voice, but I also understand what he's trying to do with his voice. So, you know, if if any of Dylan appeals to you and you go down the rabbit hole, I think you may like him more. If none of Dylan appeals to you and you try to listen to him, you're still going to hate him. You know, I mean, I can understand the dislike that he generates because he's not a consistent artist. But what he is, is a real artist. He's a guy that really, he doesn't care about trying to be commercial, trying to make a penny, trying to put out what he thinks people want to hear. He literally just puts out music you know and it's it's take it or leave it and and I, I love that about him and his attitude you know i mean he's notoriously like a pain in the ass you know right, i mean right. about music about everything you know i mean i i from living in this town i've had a few i've never met him but i've had encounters with people who've worked with him or you know my bass player tony and the cruzados was in a band with him and i mean bob dylan did the tonight's show, the David Letterman show. And after the the second or third show, Dylan's like, okay, we're going to meet at a studio next week and we're going to start working on a record. That was it. Disappeared. They never heard from him again. Never called <laughs> back, never answered a phone. To this day, he has a joke with the other guys that he goes, Hey, have you heard from Bob yet about our gig? Cause like the dude just disappeared. And, and I've, I've heard amazing. that about him a few times.
0: Yeah, amazing. Uh, queen, is in my opinion the best greatest hits band of all time the only band where i recommend their compilations over their albums
1: i mean yeah i don't think they have a bad song in the catalog you know they have might they might have a genre you don't dig But it's still a great song. Every time a Queen song comes on, and and here's the funny thing. It's like I can't say I'm a huge Queen fan. I did have News of the World and Queen 2, and I've always been peripheral and listened to them sometimes, but I never went down the rabbit hole. But I will say that any time a Queen song comes on, I listen intently. I'm into it, and it's always like, wow, I forgot about how great that was. I forgot that melody, that solo, you know? I mean, so – yeah, they're it, 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 as weird as it is, as huge as they are, they're almost underrated in what they really did. I mean, can you name another band that all four members have written a number one hit? Right. I no, mean, definitely I can't. Definitely not. You know. Oh. So,
0: yeah. Uh, Mariah has Mariah <laughs> written? Mariah Carey, yes, she <laughs> did write. <a> little- <laughs> um how about this one? Allison Chains is the best band to come from the grunge era.
1: Um well, I mean, that's a debatable question because that's what you gave it to me right. for as a hot take. Yeah. I, I don't think so. I think there was uh, way too much talent that came out of there, and a lot of it, um, there was some derivative But if you take like the top guys who came out, I can't say one of them's better than the other because they all had like didn't like sound Harden. And Soundgarden surely didn't sound like Alice in Chains. And Alice in Chains did not sound like Pearl Jam at all. But I would say all four of those bands are are strong writers, strong musicians, and they're all all pretty great in what they do. And I probably left out a Seattle band or two that's great. And, you know, Screaming Trees, you know, they don't sound like anybody either, you know. So it's weird, that whole grunge thing, because the only thing that came out of there that was grunge was the bands that sounded like those bands. You know what I mean? It was just stupid, like.
0: Okay, here's the last one, which I think is a pretty great one. Fleetwood Mac is a pretty awful, corny band. You've heard of dad rock. This is mom music.
1: Okay, well, I'll ask that person to go ahead and recreate (laughs) any of those songs, make them sound just like that. I want to hear the vocal harmonies. I want to hear the guitar instrumentation. And mostly, I want to hear the drummer that can play like Mick Fleetwood because the guy is so lyrical in his drumming. I mean, he is a drummer like no other like he has such he's kind of like Ringo really like where his beats were tailored to the music like it, people don't understand most drummers just go one and two and three and four and no Mick played actual parts that fit what the music was doing and it's it's untouchable and undeniable I I, I mean anybody who says that has never tried to play Rihanna <laughs> and or or um You know, never going back or, you know, some of these like, uh, yeah, if you can finger pick like Lindy Buckingham and play that stuff, have at it.
0: Right. But is that different? Like the skill in crafting, is that different from the end result, right? If you're just someone who doesn't, is not interested in the technical skill or even how a song gets crafted, you're just listening to it and you don't like it. It's easy to say, well, this sucks because I don't like it. Right. Because oh, yeah. And that's and that's what's happening here. But do you think the, the, the way that you just described the guitar playing or the drumming, do you think that that is inherently part of what makes Fleetwood Mac songs great?
1: I think the individual musicianship of that band is staggering. The John McVee on bass, what he does, Christine McVee, talk about an underrated artist. I mean, a voice like a bird, she can play anything on that piano. I mean, she played in blues bands when she was like 14 years old. Mm-hmm. What girls do you know that were doing that in swinging London? I mean, the girl is amazing. it was amazing, yeah. God bless her. You know? Stevie Nicks, Lindsey Buckingham. There's not a guitar player on the planet that plays like Lindsay Buckingham. Yeah. None. Yeah. I, I defy anybody to come out and say, Oh, I can play, you know, big love. <laughs> Let, let's hear you play big love and sing that song. I, I'm waiting. You know, so so yeah, their their musicianship is staggering. And I can understand, you know, their music has a pop flavor to it. You know, that's it's a little syrupy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some stuff that sure i'm not turned on a, on about but to say it's like dad rock and write it off as as like you know just schmaltz is, is not you know it's not they didn't sit home on a on a computer and program some music and say here you go look I'm a, I'm a writer i'm in my bedroom no these people went out and they lived you know experiences and wrote about them and their musicianship was so stellar that it made these songs come to life you know and
0: Thank you for the perfect segue. I'm going to read some things to you right now. And that was legitimately the perfect segue for the last thing here in this episode. Verse one, I woke up this morning feeling kind of blue. I knew right away what I had to do. I grabbed my guitar and I turned up the amp. I started strumming chords and I started to vamp. Right. So that's the verse. Mm -hmm. And the chorus is because I'm a classic rockin' man. I'll play my guitar like no one else can with every riff and every lick. I'll make you feel it. I'll make you sick. That's that's the chorus. So where did I get that from? Any idea?
1: Man, no idea. Chat GPT.
0: Who? Chat GPT. Is it the the AI? Right. So I went online. I went to the AI. I said, write a classic rock song. And this is what it spit out. No.
1: Wow. (laughs) I mean, listening to you recite that, I'm thinking like, oh, that could be like some 70s rock kind of, you know, 10 years after Mahogany Rush or something, you know, like that. That's that's kind of amazing. I mean, I know this A.I., you know, is 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 crazy.
0: So and that's the point now. Right. So you were just saying, I want to see like someone just. A computer spit out a Fleetwood Mac song, right? Obviously, this is not a Fleetwood Mac song, right? And I just told the AI, write me a classic rock song. That was the direction for the AI. And then I I got this. And it was super long. I told it to stop. It was giving me so much stuff, right? (laughs)
1: Now, did it uh, also spit out, like, you know, the verse, the chorus, the riffs? I asked for uh, lyrics. Oh, I asked oh. for
0: lyrics. And and I'm not sure oh. if it would be able to, like, write the music part of it, Got it. right? Got it. Sure. But do you think now this is... Because if you if you look online, you go to YouTube, right? Uh, Jennifer and I are looking at tiny houses. We're into the, the idea of tiny houses. And you could uh-huh. go to YouTube and watch, here are the 10... Tiny houses under fifty thousand dollars. Clearly generated by AI. The 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 visuals and because the the dialogue is just a little bit weird and a little bit stilted. No one talks that way, right? So, and you can people write blogs using AI now, right? And and I was talking to a recent um, podcast guest. That episode hasn't oh will have come out before this one, but the point here is, right? Could I write the next Doping the Void record just by saying hey? AI, write me this topic on Bigfoot because I, you know, my songs are about Bigfoot. And-
1: I think you should do it. I think you should have, have the, I'm serious. You should have the, what is it called? Chat? Chat GBT. Chat GBT, write the lyrics for like seven or eight songs and you write the music for it and put that out with that as co-writer. I think that'd be hysterical, you know, <laughs> but like to have, you could actually put a human touch on right. what the AI, right lyrics are doing. So that, that's kind of genius, Paul, honestly. I mean, you shouldn't tell anybody on this podcast <laughs> until it's done. You might want to cut what we're talking about right now. <laughs> well, so
0: the, So that's the thing. Like if I publish this classic rock song now, right, do I own it? Or does if I got it from the AI, like, can I publish it and be the owner of it? I'm the only one <laughs> that has it. So I guess I could.
1: I mean, are they, is, is that, is that computer going to come after you? Like, hey, that's my hit song. Like, are you going to go to court with it? I don't. You know, that's crazy. Holy crap! Yeah. Yeah. that's wild stuff, Paul. So, I cannot believe that. Well, I'm looking forward to the new doping the void yeah, record. it's,
0: it's all going to be uh, AI generated. We'll, we'll yep. see what happens. I'm going to Germany on Monday, so we'll we'll see what happens.
1: Uh, okay, I'll be um, flying into Munich. I think uh, April 24th. Okay.
0: So, cool. We'll yep. we'll miss each other only by a month ah dang it <laughs> <laughs> i want to thank everyone who's listening and supporting the podcast as you, always thank you, thank you. it is very thank you, much thank you, appreciated
1: thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you yeah. there's a lot yeah. of people say thank, yeah. thank you thank you thank yeah. you right yeah. we yeah. gotta thank each and everyone we gotta
0: thank everyone <laughs> exactly That's exactly right thanks buddy it's been good to see you and talk to you it's been it's been a long time too long uh be well and i'll talk to you soon yeah
1: have a safe trip to germany and i'll talk to you soon